Welcome to the Gold Standard. Happy Holidays edition here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher. I am the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. Make sure you read his stuff. A lot of good stuff about the Preds up there on the Post and the Scene this week, of course. We'll get into the John Hines versus Peter LaViolette article that you posted on Monday. Y'all talked about it on It's All Your Fault. Make sure you check out that show with Michael and Jeremy K. Gover. Excellent conversation and an excellent piece. And I think very important statistical graphic. Not not going to say that very often on the show, but very important graphic in that article that you just need to soak in. You just need to just to, to just bathe in it. So I'll have some reaction to is John Hines actually an improvement? Has he actually been an improvement over Peter Laviolette? We'll look at the numbers, of course, across a lot of different categories. Um, I, I was expecting, honestly, Michael, to come into this after six straight losses for the Preds. I was expecting to come into this show and you and I just be like these architects of destruction and just like blow up the entire organization. And, and here's the plan that they need to put in place. And here's all the things they need to do. Um, and we will do a conversation that is similar to that. But it, I think it's been delayed. I think we got to push it off a little bit. Uh, so later on in the show, what is the time frame with which this team has? Before we do have that conversation about completely blowing the team up because they bounce back, they get two big wins. There's a record we've got to talk about. So there's some positivity here with this team. We're going to start with the positive. Wish you a happy holiday and a Merry Christmas and a Festivus and a Happy Hanukkah and a Kwanzaa and whatever it is you celebrate. I hope you have a wonderful one. We'll give you some fun stuff at the beginning and, and then uh, and then we'll have some real talk at the end. <laughs> we'll do that before we do, however, uh, Michael. Um, the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. That's exactly who it is. It's brought to you by Jaspers. And, and you, you, so you said you got up this morning at what time? Like three thirty? Four thirty. Four thirty. I, I, I promise Jaspers this will land. In, so Jaspers is a great place. It wasn't of my own volition, by the way. We got a new puppy, and he <laughs> woke me up at four thirty. Well, that's what I was going to get to. I am trying to get a puppy for Christmas, a new dog for Christmas from my wife. I have a strategy about this that I'm going to ask you about later. Uh, because and the reason I mentioned this with Jasper's is that Jasper's is the perfect place to add gifts while also watching a Preds game. Like you can go watch a Preds game. Now I'm angling for a much bigger Christmas gift. I'm trying to get a dog, but if you need a stocking stuffer to add to whatever gift you've you, you've purchased, like if you look at your gift in your hand and you think I like the person I'm giving this to more than this, <laughs> I need to add something to this. You go to the Jasper's grab and go market. There's like I don't know, like fifty local companies in there with like little food snacks, like Bloody Mary mixes, and you know, hand funny tchotchke hand towels, and you know, like all kinds of cool stuff, like Dolly Parton mugs, and like all kinds of cool Nashville local sourced stuff in there. I think there's like bath soaps and stuff. Like I'm telling you, it's a great place to grab stack stocking stuffers if you're looking to just sort of juice up your your Christmas gift shopping. Just Pop into Jasper's, watch the Preds games, $10 smash burger, $3 beers, maybe three or four of them, free parking, and then go to the market right there attached and pick up all your stocking stuffers. It's a pretty good plan. Or bring the wife there and let her just go ham in there and get all the stocking stuffers she wants and then be like, okay, my turn. I want a dog. Oh, see? It's pretty good. Also, it's probably better that my wife does the stocking stuffer purchasing anyway. There you go. Um, I would just end up buying like, batteries socks and snickers bars 
<laughs> I feel like we can do better than that. So. Any, anytime you need help with stuff like this, come to me. I have a degree in psychology, so I am I'm very good at, at persuading like people to do stuff they may not want to do. All right, I will. We'll explain. You just got a new puppy. I'm trying to get a new puppy. I'll tell you how I'm doing that a little bit later on in the show. Now that's a tease right there. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, okay, so first and foremost, Preds two wins. We'll get to why I think there's some promising signs uh, about that and, and about ending the six game losing streak. Of course, more than just collecting four points. Um, kind of how they did it and, and why it matters. But we got to get to Yossi. He just kind of walks out from against Chicago on on Wednesday. He just sort of walks out from behind the line. Uses a, a, a I think it was a Forsberg pick. Buries it top shelf um, and get, ties David Legwan's all-time franchise record with 566 points. He then assists on the fourth goal of the evening. Uh, I think it was a it was a was it a power play goal it, right right off the uh, the faceoff or whatever. I think Yossi assists on it and gets it to was, five. Yeah, Novak's goal. Yeah, no Tommy Novak. By the way, just the Chicago Blackhawk killer. Just put him in against them, um, and we'll talk about Novak because he's been. He's been pretty good. Uh, leading scorer for Milwaukee come up, comes up and has two pretty productive games. Uh, but Yossi gets to 567. He is now the franchise's all-time leading scorer. So I don't know what else we can say about Yossi, just in general. I know you've got some stats on how fast he did it. But my big takeaway is just that I think it's really, it's like, it feels nice. It feels comfortable. It feels right that all the record holders for the key spots, the key records in hockey history, when you're a kid growing up, you care about goals. You care about points and you care about your goaltending. And for Forsberg to be the all-time leading scorer now, for Yossi to be the all-time points scorer, and for Pekka to kind of have retired and, and have every single record, I, I, it, it just feels right. It feels like we've elevated the franchise. It feels like the record book is more respectable for some reason uh, and more representative of modern Predators hockey. It just And the numbers, are they're going to keep going. Like Forsberg and Yossi are going to keep running these numbers up. Uh, and should set pretty substantially new benchmarks for the two most important records, largely in in any franchise's history. Yeah, th- this feels like when you have a company that has like an old stodgy website, and then they like revamp the website and they give it a fresh look and they move some things around and make it more visually appealing. That's what it feels like when you say like the record books are getting refreshed to re- reflect modern predators, like. And, and, and no offense to David Leguan, like he was a fine player, but. And I know that a lot of old school Predators fans, a lot of day one OGs have very fond memories of David Leguan, the first draft pick Predators history. Like, I get it. There's that sentimental value attached to David Leguan's name. But if we're talking about number two overall picks, we're talking about guys you start your franchise with. David Leguan was not no. anywhere close to the top of, of any of those lists there. So he, he was a fine player, but but it's nice to see Roman Yossi pass him. It's nice to see Philip Forsberg pass him. And I'm, I'm nothing against David Leguan. I don't want to hate on the guy, but it's nice to see some of his records that he's had just for the sheer virtue of, of he's old and he played for so long. Like, it's nice to see some of those records kind of fall and some of these newer players kind of take some of those. But, yeah, I mean, there's not really much more we can say about Roman Yossi we haven't said other than, you know, he should have won the damn Vezina last year. Like, <laughs> Or the Vezina. Yeah. That, that'd be really sure, – Not the really, Vezina. Sorry. That'd be really impressive. Yeah, no, he probably could. I mean, he's good at everything. I mean, but he probably should have won the Norris last year. Sorry, I was reading a story and they said Vezina Trophy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he should have won the Vezina last year. He's, what, 31, 32, and he's still an elite defenseman. I I think he's the best defenseman in the NHL right now. No disrespect to, to Kale McCarr. Yeah. Um, but I, I still think... I, I just there's you're, There's no more superlatives. I mean, you, we've said everything we can say about Roman Yossi. 
So Forsberg, and I don't know the exact number of games. Forsberg has 229 goals. Leg one has 210. He passed him sometime, what, middle of last year, basically. Um, and, and I don't remember exactly the, the exact number of games, but they've played, what, like 28 this year and maybe 30 or 40 more last year. So let's say he scored around 550 games for him to get to the record where he passes David Legwan, roughly speaking. He's at 597 right now, so I'm going to knock like 47 games off. Just hype, I'm just throwing a random number out. Either way, it is roughly 400 fewer games than David Legwan played. All of the records David Legwan held, to your point, he's a nice guy, good player. It, it, it's all because of longevity and default, which again is not meant to be insulting. It just is what it is. Philip Forsberg has played currently 597 games. That is almost 400 fewer games. And again, he did it 40 or 50 yeah. games ago. So basically half. It took Philip Forsberg half. So if he plays another two or 300 games, which would not even be the contract he's been signed to, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's going to get to 400 goals potentially if he stays healthy and fulfills his contract. So Yeah, and I think he, something else to keep in mind too, a designation to when you're talking about all this like the game of hockey has definitely evolved and changed since David Leguan burst into the league in, in what, 98, 99? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like there's, a, it's played a little bit differently. Forsberg and Yossi are a little bit more of a new breed of player, faster, more skilled, stuff like that. And, and I don't want to. New I'm rules. Saying, new, very important new rules. Yeah. And I'm not saying David Leguan would be Philip Forsberg's caliber player if he was playing in the modern NHL with the players that Forsberg is. But I think you got to keep in mind too, David Leguan was playing with Martin Erat and, and Sergei Kostitsin. And that's true. And like very offensively challenged players. And you look at Forsberg playing with Johansson and Arvidsson and Duchesne and Yossi and all these great guys. Like, I'm not saying that like yeah. they're all responsible for Forsberg's success, but all that just to just to kind of, you know, put into perspective David Legwand's career because he was a fine player. But it, like like we said, it's nice to see all these records fall because he's basically had them just because he because of the longevity factor, not because right. he was this overwhelmingly great player. Uh, Roman Yossi, 567 points in 791 games played. Uh, As a again, defenseman, 200 games less. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> yeah, not, not well, more like 160, 160 fewer games, which is still two full seasons. So he did it and it took him two full seasons less as a defenseman. I think those are the two pieces of context that are important here. Here's my question for you. Yossi's got what? How many more years left on the deal? Six more years left on the deal? Um, I believe so. Yeah, I think he signed it in 2019. I, at this at this pace, he'll probably pass like I mean he'll pass Legwan in games played in about in, in about two full seasons from now. So maybe this the end of this one and then two more. The question is how high could he put the number? Could he get to a thousand? I don't know. The thousand's pushing it, but if he averages seventy for six more years, can he do it? He could probably get to eight or nine hundred pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, I think when when his career is over, you're probably looking at someone who's remembered and. I don't want to say top 10 because there's been a lot of really good players, but I think he's someone who's going to be remembered as an all-time great, not just, you know, among the predators, yeah. but um, among the NHL. And, and I think that's what the conversation about hall of fame for Pekka is about. And I think hall of fame is a really complicated name or, or term to sort of define for every sport. But I think I heard it. I think Dan Patrick said this all, used to say it like this. If you were among your, like your position, the job that you're supposed to do, if you are among the best in the world at what you're supposed to do during your career, you don't have to be the best, but among the best at what you do, then that's probably a good sort of general vague description of Hall of Fame. And Pekka was, um, I don't, I, that's the argument kind of against and for Pekka is that he's, he, he definitely wasn't the best goaltenders, top two or three of his generation, but he's like probably four or five or six. Like he's one of the top five or six of his generation. 
that would be an argument for him. It's hard not to say that Yossi is not one of our generation, NHL, our generation's best defenseman on the planet, right? Yeah, and, and I think with the Rene discussion, too, I mean, the dude was a four-time finalist for the Vezina, and he won it one year. Like, you're talking about five of the 13 years he played where he was considered at least one of the three best players at his position. Like, yeah, we can get we can get open this can of worms another day. I, know, I, yeah. <laughs> I, very, I very strongly, like, am for Pecorino getting into the Hall of Fame. But I think Roman Yossi... Like we talk about how great Pecorino is and all this stuff. Roman Yossi, by the time his career is over, he's going to be the most beloved predator in, yeah. in team history. Like yeah. he's going to have a statue probably next to, to Pekka. Like not even close. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I it's just and and it's like people get enamored with you know PK Subban for a while because he was a really good defenseman and with Drew Doughty and, and all this stuff. And like Roman Yossi is one of the players that kind of worked his way into the spotlight and hasn't really fallen off yet. Where you see that with a lot of big name yeah. defensemen. Yeah. Where they they're like, oh, this guy's one of the one t- one two three best defensemen in the league. Like Eric Carlson, everyone's talking about him, and ever since he got traded to the Sharks, like his career has went off a right. cliff. So right. I mean, Roman Yossi, we haven't seen any drop off. Like I, I think he could still put up you know seventy point seasons for the next six years. I don't think that's out of the question for him. Yeah, and uh, quick math, that's four hundred and twenty points, right? Uh, basically, um, that would put you close to a thousand. So. Uh, we'll see how many close to David Legwan's record again. (laughs) You would lap him. (laughs) Well, Philip Forsberg's at 494 currently at time of taping. So he's he's a a full season this season and probably next season away from he'll pass David Legwan and finish number two. Ryan Johansson will I mean, probably will play two more years in a predator sweater. And if he does that because his contract is immovable, uh, he'll probably pass Shea Weber for number five all time. So three of your top five all time point total scorers in franchise history will be one Yossi, two uh, Forsberg, and five Johansson. That, that's representative of what this organization has been over the last, let's say, it, at the time, if this happens in two years, the last decade. And it will tell you that this decade of Preds hockey, if, if you already didn't know, is, is clearly and by far the, the best part of this franchise's history. And so I just you think it's a- saying that you'll get people on Twitter saying you carry water for the team now. Well, no, it doesn't mean you. It doesn't mean we shouldn't blow the whole thing up. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that, and I don't know if they can, but we'll get to that coming up a little bit later on. Mark Lazarus, of course, at the Athletic, just a scorching, scorching hot take after after the Blackhawks fall four two to the Predators, which uh, and we'll get I to loved that. it. I, no, I, I, I don't disagree. I, I don't disagree with you. Prince fans don't want to hear it, but he he's. he's speaking the truth. We'll get to that coming up a little bit later on. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Um, and, and so okay. Other other positive news, two-game winning streak. 4-3 overtime winner, Carrier back. The defense core is back. Ryan McDonough is back healthy. The defense is is now sort of back to where it was right before it sort of got blown up. They put some warm bodies in there and kept it going. Um, a couple of things, observations for me, and, and I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, number one, the Chicago, the two deflections to, in, in within a minute in the second period to go late in the second period to go down 2-1. After losing six straight, yes, they played very well against Edmonton. I'll get to that in a second. But they, you give up two deflection goals like that, it can demoralize a team real fast. You can mentally crumble real fast. And with a team right now at basically 500 that is teetering on the brink of either complete collapse or needs to surge into the postseason sometime in the next two months to really play really well and show us that they belong in the playoffs, I thought that was a... a, a could have been a pivotal moment if they had truly crumbled after giving up two deflection goals. They come back with the hand pass. They get lucky. Duchesne is wide open on the back end. Beautiful play by Matias Ekholm to get him the puck. They score. They go. They, they tie the game. 
with five seconds to go. They come out. Yossi does his magic and scores to take the lead and, and sort of two straight wins. And you package that with, and this is where I want your opinion. Where do you rank the Edmonton game? Beating Edmonton, keeping Dreisaitl and McDavid off the score sheet in terms of goals. You have a, you have three one-goal leads in that game. Every time Edmonton answers, the Predators answer. They scored a power play goal for the first time in like 20 tries. Um, Duchesne's now scored in three straight. Where is that game in terms of complete performances by this team? Like, is it one of the best showings? Is it among one of the best? Is it the best game that this Predators team has played the entire season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's among one of the best. I don't, I wouldn't put it at the top. I think the November 3rd win over Calgary was a four to one win. That was a very dominating performance. I think that yeah. you could say that's probably their most complete 60 minute effort where it felt like they controlled that, that game for, for much of, you know, the 60 minutes that they played. Whereas Edmonton, like you said, Nashville would score, Edmonton would respond, Nashville would score, Edmonton would respond, stuff like that. So, I mean, it was a good win. I would probably out of I, I think their three best wins this year, and there haven't been many of them. But I think the three best <laughs> wins are one over Calgary on November third. Okay. I think their second best win. Oh, excuse me. I think their second best win was on December first, the four three overtime win over New, New Jersey, because at that point New Jersey had won like seventeen in a row or some crazy number like that. And on the road against your former team, all that extra yeah. weight, weight, mental weight, or whatever. Yeah, so I, I would put New Jersey up there. I, I would say that probably it's probably the third best win. I think I'd put the Edmonton win at number two, just because they had lost to them the week before, and they didn't just lose. It was it was six to three. And the other game they played against them in the beginning of the year, they lost seven to four. And I think it snapped. What was it like a six game losing streak against Edmonton? The last time they beat them was like back in what 2019. It had been a while. I mean, looking at the numbers between Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, they combined for something like what 12 goals and 45 points over those six games against the predators only like it was the perfect storm for another beatdown, and and i think they just they kind yeah. of and Matias echoed even said in, in the post game after that he, he said it best like we know that those guys beat us and we knew we had to key in on them and they did like that showed that the defense that john hines or whoever's running the defense said go out and do something and they actually did it I think that's I think that was the first positive sign, at least since Ryan McDonough got injured, that the defense is I don't know saying that they figured everything out, but that was at least a positive sign from the defense that they could go out there and they could keep two of probably the top three scorers in the NHL off the board. And so I think I think it was a good game. I wouldn't say it was a complete game just because they did let Edmonton kind of come back two or three times, but right. great solid win. I'd put it up there probably in two or three. Uh, of the ones they've had this year. I think the Islanders win 4-1 because the Islanders were playing such good hockey and they just wiped the floor with them in that game. I, here's what John yeah. Hines had to say after the Lincoln game. Lincoln was in goal in that game too. Yeah, and that, that was like 47 saves or something like that. So maybe not as yeah. good as the Jersey game. Hines said after the game on, against Edmonton, he said, quote, we came out and played a really solid hockey game. We deserve to win the game. We did it. I think that's the most important thing when you come out of tough stretches is that sometimes you're building your game and not getting results. And I think... Really, it's like that that we deserve to win. We played a, a complete game. Some of that is the defense core being healthy. Carrier, of course, came back and then scores a huge goal in that game. I think the, the, considering the opponent, considering their track record against the opponent, the quality that that opponent has experienced against you, coming off six straight losses, I, I'm not sure there was a more important showing by a Predators team, maybe. Maybe that's the best way to put it. It wasn't their best game but it's one of the most important showings of the season. And then to come back and sort of give up two fluky bounce goals against a really garbage team. Chicago's now one fifteen and one in their last 17. 
Thinking hard for Bedard. To, yeah, to to give up those two fluky goals and then to come back from that, I think there's some mental toughness. The deep and what's really hilarious is that Cime said this on the broadcast. He said he's like he's like man, they look really loose in coverage, and then like two uh, two minutes later they give up back to back fluke goals, and I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. And and they and they rebounded. So here's my question: the two wins and the health of the defense. Does that give you some positivity before we? kick all these Preds fans in the jimmy here with all of our with our next 20 minutes of conversation does that give you some hope about this team finishing the year the calendar year i should say uh with some sort of flourish no <laughs> next question yes no i mean you you look at it they so their next they finish the year against colorado against dallas at anaheim and at vegas you, th- that easily could be three out of four losses right there colorado dallas and vegas are playoff caliber teams I think Dallas is still leading the central like Colorado's had to deal with a lot of injuries, but they're still way better than the Predators are. And the last time that Nashville played Anaheim, they barely beat them. And Anaheim is is one of the worst teams in the NHL. So I it's great. The defense is healthy. You know, the goaltenders are playing well. I just don't think this team has enough off- offense to beat Colorado, Dallas or Vegas. And And I mean, maybe not even Anaheim. The only team that scored fewer goals this year than the Predators is the Blackhawks. I mean, it's basically the worst Predators offense ever since 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 Barry Trotz was the coach. Like of of the two new coaches, and this is a perfect segue into your article, Laviolette and Hines. uh, Is it actually how how have each how has each team performed in the five plus years for Lavi in the three plus years for Hines? You did a great article about this, and and I'm not going to dive into every single specific number. If you want to, you should go click on the article and go read it. the graphics in there, you lit, you have record, win percentage, points percentage, goals per game, goals allowed, penalty kill, power play, shots on goal, shots allowed, five on five, power. I mean, you got everything in there. So go check it out. Here's the deal. And I'll, because I know you and Gover had a long conversation about this on It's All Your Fault. So if you, you know, that the article came out on Monday, y'all's show came out on Monday. You guys talked a lot about it. I just wanted a quick comment, which is overall, it is not close, in my opinion. Like, each specific number is kind of close. Like again, win percentage, 550 for Lavi, 533 for Heinz. That's close. Points percentage, 616 for Lavi, 569 for, for Heinz. Okay, not great for for Heinz there. Goals per game, 294 versus 284. About the same. Goals allowed, 263 for Lavi, 294. That one is a little bit is is significantly worse. Penalty kills close-ish within a couple of points of each other. But Outside of the power play being slightly better for John Hines, there's not a single number that John Hines is better in. And so while they're all kind of close, to call it largely a clean sweep statistically for Peter Laviolette, it to me makes it not all that close. And if you top it off with the playoff record and 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 even and you did this in the article. Even if you just go through their first 195 games, it's even more close, right? Like they're almost dead even statistically through 195 games. Yeah. But but the difference is through 195 games, Laviolette had 23 playoff wins. John Hines has three, two. and two, and 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 so to me, if if Peter Laviolette's tenure as, as the head coach was statistically better in almost every category. It doesn't have to be significantly better, but just better in literally better in better in literally every category. And the kicker is he was excellent in the postseason. 
John Hines has not shown us anything in the postseason. I do not think you can make the case that this team has improved with John Hines. I'm not even you made the case it was a lateral move, and I'm not even sure you could argue that. Yeah, and Jared took that and ran with it on Twitter. Then I had a couple other people DM me and stuff, being like, How can you call it a lateral move? And I'm not I'm not equating the two. The numbers clearly show Laviolette was better than John Hines. However, and I think something that going through this you know, side-by-side comparison was it's a lot closer than people think it is. John Hines is a lot closer to Peter Laviolette than people are giving him credit for. I agree with that. And I'm not saying John Hines is a good coach. Like, I give me the two options right now. Do I take Peter Laviolette or John Hines? I'm taking Laviolette all day long. But who do you want to do an interview with? <laughs> yeah. Who do you want to do an interview? Not Laviolette. <laughs> you know what? If Laviolette's wearing the bullhead, I will take him. But any other time, <laughs> I, I'm going with John Hines because you actually get some sort of an yeah, answer. Yeah, he's a human being. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> but but the the point of this, and and I said the numbers show that it's a lateral move at best. For those of you that don't know, when you say something and then you you put at best at the end of it, that's that's a nice way of sugarcoating and being like this is still terrible. But you know what? If you want to try and be nice, here here here's a little bit of a compliment. I I would argue it's not terrible though. Like I don't think John Hines is terrible, but this is gonna. This is going to lead us into Mark Lazarus's piece here, right? Like, yeah, they're, they're, I, and I've, they're... I've said this, I've said this a, a few times on this podcast and on It's All Your Fault. John Hines is is a decent, he's a solid NHL coach. He is not the coach for the National Predators that's going to bring them to the Stanley Cup. He would be a great coach for Arizona to go hire and kick off a yeah. rebuild, yeah. and then in four or five years, you go and hire the next guy that's going to bring you to the to the next level. John Hines is a good Kickstarter head coach to get things going. Like if you're going to do a rebuild, you maybe, Chicago. maybe Chicago could hire. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're a team that's rebuilding, John Hines is the kind of head coach you go and you bring in that gets you off the ground, gets you at least kind of close to respectability before you go out and you hire the guy that gets you there. So the whole point of me doing this story, and maybe I should have been more clear and I should have like put the words in there, like the actual no, you words did. people, you did people, a great job. So people understand what I was saying is, David Poyle in his press conference said John Hines is the next up and coming coach. They got the best young coach at the right time. Basically was trying to say like New Jersey was stupid for letting him go. And he was trying to sell the fan base. And I think to a degree, the players, because the players love Laviolette as well. I think he was trying to sell everybody on the fact that John Hines was this young, bright mind that, Oh, we couldn't believe he was available. He is going to be an upgrade. So like, Amy Adams shrunk just fired John Robinson, and she's looking for the next GM to bring them to the to the next level. This is what David Poyle was trying to convince us John Hines was when he fired Peter Laviolette. And the, the whole point of me writing the story is, yes, the numbers are similar. Laviolette has an edge in pretty much everything, like a slight edge. The numbers are similar, but he's not an upgrade. That was the whole point of the story was John Hines was sold to this fan base as an upgrade over Peter Laviolette, and the results have shown that he is not an upgrade. He's a slight regression. So... The, the the last story maybe I should have, or the last line of the story maybe no, I should take it out or, or phrase it better but but the whole point was to say David Poyle was selling John Hines as being the upgrade over Peter Laviolette the numbers clearly show that he hasn't at, at what point does David Poyle cut his losses or maybe he doesn't maybe David Poyle just he goes down with the John Hines ship who knows but that that was that was why I wrote the story and I think it was I think it did a lot of good for some fans to see the graphic right there in front of them got side by use, side you got to use picture books now with people man. It's yeah. just, we're we're all reading at like a kindergarten level again. Like it's the just, side by side comparison. I mean, I think I think you there's can't a lot argue of... with it. You cannot argue. I, I think yeah. you did a. I think you did a great job with the article. I think you laid it out exactly the way you're supposed to. And I think the, the I I I had no problem seeing and taking your ultimate point, which is he was supposed to be an upgrade, and clearly statistically he's been worse in almost every category. 
Yeah. So the best argument you can make is that it's a lateral move. And that's all it is. That's all that, that that's all the article says. And all of that is factually true. <laughs> yeah. And if you're if you're comparing if you're comparing comparing playoff records, then no, John Hines is not a lateral move at all. It, like Peter Levy goes out of the water. But yeah. if you take what they've done in the regular season, you take how the team has played under them, the offensive production, the goals allowed, the goals scored, power play, all that. Like it, it's it's not completely even, but it's it's very, very close. That's what that was. Maybe I should have clarified that a little bit. Regular season and how the team performed under them, it, it was a lateral move at best. In the playoffs, it has been by far aggression. And and this, I think this leads us into the next topic is when do they blow it up? How much time does John Hines have left? And, and all that stuff. Because this is these are what the fans want. I mean, this I know, is I know. this is what they're they're sending all of us on Twitter. And I'm sure David Poyle and, and Sean Henry's inbox is full of, of angry fans. So <laughs> who spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, on season tickets uh, and that right. does matter I, I had someone in the Preds organization tell me at the beginning of last year when they had the the COVID policy in place where they required you to to get them to wear a mask and screen and all that stuff and there were a lot of people on Twitter that are like I'm not renewing my season tickets I'm not spending any money on the games and I had someone that worked in the Preds organization tell me like yeah we thought it we weren't going to notice it but we have like we, oh, yeah. we noticed there's a significant less money coming in than there was last year yeah uh, before we kick all of Predators Nation in the nuts, uh, I just want to say congrats to Roman Yossi. Uh, two straight wins, snapping the winning streak. The defense is healthy. I'm going to be more optimistic than you, but this is going to lead us into our conversation about what is the window we should allow for this team before we do actually have the podcast episode where we scream about blowing the entire thing up. And can they even do it? Uh, two interesting articles. Again, Mark Lazarus. Go check it out in The Athletic. Really interesting piece about how Blackhawks, <laughs> Blackhawks <laughs> just got roasted by the Preds, but it but it could be worse. You could be a Preds fan. It's it's actually quite a twist on a story. Uh, again, written by a Blackhawks writer. I, he's catering to his base. Um, but also, I saw a piece. But he's not wrong. No, he's not. And I saw and and we'll get started here with the. There was a Greg Wyshynski th- piece where he kind of just said, "Here's what everybody at the trade deadline needs for their team." Here's a, you know, he does the whole Christmas gift thing where he's like, "Here's the Christmas gift for everybody," and like his one for the Predators is like. He couldn't he couldn't come up with one. <laughs> and I love Greg. I'm friends with Greg. But I read that one little blurb about the Preds and I was like, you just didn't you just don't have an answer for this organization. So that's that's where we're going to start it before we do that. However, before we kick everyone in the Jimmy, let's just say go to Jasper's because the gold standard is brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks at Jasper's. And Michael, do you have all your stocking stuffers? I do. We uh, right. my wife and I actually we were prepared. We ordered our stuff a couple weeks ago, so we made sure everything got here on time. Should have gone to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's, drink your beer, eat your meal. And like, how many places in this city can you park for free, go have a great meal, watch a game, and do your Christmas shopping? Where where else, where else can you do that? (laughs) I think I think Jasper's may be the only place. Jasper's might be the only place. So here's the question. I've got and and we won't spend too much time on this, but you just got a second dog. It's why you got up at like 4 a.m. this morning. I am will my 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 old boy. Henry, shout out to Henry, my old boy, is, go to Jasper's, is like 11, 12 years old. And I'm a big believer in the overlap dog. Like, you got to have an overlap dog. Because the overlap dog not only keeps your house from being without a dog when the old one passes away, but also I think, I fully believe that it will keep an older dog younger and fresher and and alive for longer, right? I think you got to have an overlap dog. I am efforting to get the overlap dog for Christmas. Now you can't get this at Jasper's Grab and Go Market. They don't have puppies, but I, but if they did, <laughs> but if they did, it'd be well. Jasper's is a dog, after all. It's the name. But real quickly here, 
is it okay for me to use my children to ask my wife for the second dog? Which, by the way, she got the first one. So she's not anti-dog. She loves dogs. I want a second one. I'm trying to use the six and the four-year-old to say, Mommy, I want a doggy for Christmas. I want a puppy for Christmas. It sounds like uh, your experience this morning is no. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I, If you have kids, use them to your advantage for everything. That is my philosophy. So... <laughs> the the wife can easily look at you and tell you no. How hard? How much harder is it going to be to look at your two kids and be like, no, we're not getting a second dog. I know. I think it's fair. I think it's fair game. I, I would do it. I think it's fair game. Oh well, I'm trying to get the overlap dog. Do, do you believe in the overlap dog? I I believe in the overlap dog. Well, not just the overlap dog. Like it gives it gives Henry your your dog. It gives him you know a buddy for however much long much time longer time he has with you guys. So yeah, it works exactly. out for everybody. It's a win win win. And if you go to Jasper's. It's probably a couple extra wins in there. It's like a win-win-win-win-win because, again, beer specials, food specials, Christmas shopping, free parking. That's four wins right there when you go to Jasper's. Uh, by the way, who's named after the, the the puppy dog there? If you see the little dog at the bar, that's Jasper. Uh, check out the Gold Standard Cocktail, by the way, named after this podcast. It's a whiskey drink. And if you're looking to get away from the in-laws, that's the other win. That's a sixth win, seventh win. I'm not sure. The Preds need about seven wins in a row, however, if they want to make the playoffs. So... <laughs> As I mentioned, Greg Wyshynski, who I, I have a lot of respect for, his gifts for all 32 teams, which is one of those like, you know, kind of Christmas content things you got to do on, on the Internet. I, let me just like a lot of it's like, hey, here's a player that they need to go after for this team or this player needs to find this or there, there's like actual solutions to problems he presents for almost every team. The Predators, he just says a rebuild on the fly. And he says the Predators are stuck in that hockey purgatory where they're not a contender in the West, but they're also not going to enter a rebuild, not with Philip Forsberg, Yossi, Ekholm, Saros, and others locked in through the 2025 season at minimum. With a roster that's difficult to blow up, the Predators have to find a way to maximize their veterans' window. Waving 23-year-old prospects probably isn't that way. I, I love Greg, but the he didn't say anything there. He did All he said, all he did was point out the Predators' situation, which then leads us of course, to Mark Lazarus' column uh, on <laughs> on The Athletic following the loss. And here is the headline. Blackhawks fans, it could be worse. You could be Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't phrase it that way, but the premise of his story is right. hits the nail right on the head. So and here's... Do you want to do you want to read any do you have any quotes from the story you'd like to because there's a couple lines that I I oh absolutely like I I loved reading this because I feel like there's been a small congregation of Preds media that have been saying this for the last two years or so and finally someone else outside of the market recognizes this and said it so he said there's two quotes I want to read that really struck me neither team is anywhere talk about predators and the Blackhawks exactly the one I was going to read <laughs> neither team is anywhere near being a contender or even a playoff caliber squad. But Chicago GM Kyle Davidson has all but wiped the slate clean. Nashville GM David Poyle has all but guaranteed years of mediocrity by locking in a mediocre core. Now, I think we could argue, quote unquote, mediocre for players like Forsberg and Yossi. I, I think. Yeah, I, Roman do, Yossi do, is elite. Hill Forsberg is right on the cusp of elite. And I would even put Matthew Shane and Ryan Johansson in there as somewhere in between above average and below great. Like, right in, in that spot. Yeah, I mean, Ekholm, McDonough, Granlin, Johansson, Duchesne, yeah. none of those guys are elite. They're not mediocre, but they're not they're not great. They're, they're just really good players. And I think yeah. I started off a story last year, it might have been over the summer, saying that the Predators are in this weird space where they're not good enough to compete for 
conference yeah. finals and the Stanley Cup final, but they're not bad enough to get a Connor McDavid kind of, kind of draft pick. And that's exactly Mark Lazarus said. That's exactly where they're at. And I think well, something and- else that he wrote too that I that I it struck me. He said, for years the Predators will be talking about all the contract extensions they, they locked everyone up to. He said, for years the Predators will be exactly what they've already been for years. Kinda okay. Competitive, fine. Too good to get a top draft pick, not good enough to accomplish anything other than an occasional first round exit. And I think that's that last line right there, that is like pressing the button of all Predators fans anger yeah. right now is they're not good enough to get those top draft picks where you can get a Connor McDavid or a Connor Bedard or Austin Matthews or anyone like that. But you're not like you're not good enough to, to continuously win in the playoffs. Like first round exits used to be like that's what you strive for. Now the Predators are at a point where that's no longer acceptable. And yeah, I think I think the only answer to this, and I mean Adam. Vingan, one of his last pieces for the athletic, he he wrote, the Predators need to get worse before they can get better. And I think it, he took a lot of heat when he wrote that because they're like, oh, they're not terrible enough to go through a full rebuild. Well, David Poyle mentioned that as in the season press conference. He said the reason Colorado was so good is because they were so bad for so long that they got Kale McCars and they got Nathan McKinnons and they got Miko Rantanens and all the players like that because they were continuously picking in the top five. And you're going to hit on players if, you, if you're picking in the top five enough. Edmonton is proof of that as well. And Nashville's in that spot where... They're not in the top five, and I, and I mentioned this on It's All Your Fault. The NHL is not like the NFL, where if you're sitting there at eight, you can easily trade up to number two or three if you want it. Like that's just not how how yeah. draft trading works in the NHL. Like it can happen, but it just it doesn't work like that. So yeah. to get one of those premium picks, you just you have to be bad. And and we've seen and we've had long conversations about it. I think actually Adam and I like over a year ago sort of did a, like how it all looks like when you do it, and we analyzed some of the teams that have done it well. Colorado, to your point, right, being bad for a long time, and then you know Buffalo did has done it poorly. Arizona's going through it right now, but Chicago's in the middle of it. And this paragraph in the middle of Lazarus's piece, I thought, was really telling, and it sort of crystallized what the rebuild could look like if done correctly. And it does take a lot of suffering. It, it's it's not just one bad year where you tank and you get a great draft pick. It takes, and actually, you know, Patrick Kane explains how they built their championship roster, which I don't really love listening to Patrick Kane talk about high-level hockey stuff, but like it is what it is. He he sort of does explain how you have to have the plan, you have to execute it, but you have to kind of get lucky and do it extremely well. You're trying to hit a small window with all these different things. But there's one little paragraph in the middle of this piece that sort of lays it out perfectly about the job that Davidson, the GM for the Blackhawks, have done, that they only have Seth Jones and Connor Murphy signed to long-term contracts. They have four first-round picks in the next two drafts. They have uh, four second-round picks, four third-round picks. They have a shot to get the number because they're going to suck so bad this year. They have a shot. They have a shot to get either Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli. I guess is the other one that could be up there at number two. They have really all the hope ca- it's not Con- Connor Bedard. They have all the yeah, exactly. They have all the cap space in the world, and they have two or three pieces that they probably could trade in Kane and Taves that will probably be moved at the deadline to bring in more first-round picks. So they, they've literally kind of checked every box of what a rebuild has to look like, which, again, you have tradable pieces at the deadline. You have very few long-term deals. You have 12 picks in the first three rounds in the next two drafts. You have cap space, and you are so bad that you have a chance at a generational talent this year in the draft. You have to do yeah. all of that, and you have to do it all well for it to work. Chicago could still screw it up, but to suggest that that's what you have to do to do the, the rebuild... And then to look at where the predators are, they have none of that stuff. They don't have any of it. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's 
And the, the rebuild hurt. I mean, you look at look at this offseason, trading away Alex DeBrinkett and Kirby Doc, who I think are going to be two really good young players in this league. He mentions Brandon Hangel and Dominic Kubelik. Like, those Dylan are good players. Those are yeah, good players. like those are good players. Like Dylan Strom, I, I I was saying after the free agency began, free, free agent frenzy, that he would have been a great third or fourth line player for this team, and they they didn't go after him. But those are really good players. You're looking at Taves and Kane, who they're probably going to trade away and probably get a couple prospects and some draft picks back. Like, I I do not like Chicago, and I, I I hate the fact that they could possibly be rewarded with a generational player like Connor Bedard, given what happened with the Kyle Beach situation and how they sold their soul to get a Stanley Cup in 2010. However, Kyle Davidson in charge and the, and the way they're running things now, I, I'd like to give them the benefit of that the benefit of the doubt that they're doing things the right way, and. On the face of this, like Kyle Davidson is doing the rebuild the right way. And it, like if Nashville were to do a full scale rebuild like Chicago, it would hurt. It's going to cost you UC Saros. It's going to cost you Matias Echo. It might cost you. I don't think they would trade away Philip Forsberg a year after signing him to that mega contract they just did. But it would cost you Matt Duchesne, Mikhail Granlin. It might even cost you a lower medium level, medium sized prospect or whatever. And a couple draft picks to, to clear some cap space and stuff. And it's just doing a full scale rebuild like. Colorado did a few years ago, like Chicago is doing now. I don't think that's in the cards for the Predators, but I do think some sort of a rebuild is, is it's inevitable. Like it starts, this, it starts and ends with Soros. Yeah. This team and you look is at the, the piece. You look at the players that could possibly, I, I made a list of the players that if they, if they did a rebuild and in this, you asked how long, how much longer do we give them? I, I say you give them till the beginning of the year. I, I don't think this team is a playoff team. And why would you waste the second half of the season trying to strive for something that you're, you're not going to get? Start doing it now. You could argue they should have did it last year. But I made a list of players that that I think, personally, in my own opinion, if they were to, were to do a rebuild, these are the players they could get some back for that would, e not easily, but they could, it wouldn't hurt to part with these guys as much. UC Saros would hurt. But the, the picks and the prospects you would get back for him, it right. would be a ransom. Mikhail Granlin, he's a useful piece who could probably bring you maybe like a Victor Arvison trade, a second or a third round pick. Dante Fabro and Alex Carey, a young defenseman that would still have some value. Tanner Janot is having a down season, but someone would I, give you a, a pretty good return for Tanner Janot. I, I feel, and I I feel like, Trenin. don't you think Trenin, don't you think Trenin and Janot and Carrier, for example, like at least a couple of those pieces have to be part of the rebuild because they're so cheap and so talented and so young. I, I think if you can, like, I think Nito Niederreiter as a rental, a one year rental would be an attractive piece to trade. And he's got, what, 11, 12 goals now. So I, I think that's another piece. I, I think your your point is that it would hurt and it would feel bad and that the team's going to suck. But that's what you have to do to get to get 12 picks in the top or more, yeah. especially for the Blackhawks if or more. I, I think, I, I mean, mean, really, Nita, Nita really, Yossi. Really, Yossi's the only untouchable one, really. Like, if you're like, who's untouchable? But even then, at this, at some point, Somebody gives you enough for, for Roman Yossi. Maybe you have to think about it. Um, I think the two untouchables are Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi. Outside of that, I, I think everyone else is fair game. And I, and I think the Niederreiter thing, like he would make an interesting rental for somebody, especially a playoff team with how well he's playing. But given what they did with, with Ryan Ellis, and then if you were to trade, you know, Niederreiter, if someone gives you enough for Philip Forsberg, like David Poyle, if he plans on being the Predators GM for another couple of years, like you're running that risk of no one's going to want to sign with you because they don't feel like they're going to have they're not going to get the the contract they signed up for in the place they signed up for it. Well, at. I don't think you could. You also, you know, free agency is not normally the best place to rebuild with core pieces. You can you can fill in gaps around the edges and stuff. Let me ask you this: Do you trust? Because if we're going to talk rebuild, then that also is probably a coaching change and a general manager change as well. So let me ask you this: Do you want 
David Poyle to be the one discharging pieces or do you and and then once all those moves are made because he's such a veteran at this and he's actually very good at making trades you you let him do that knowing that that's like his last contribution to the team <laughs> like that once all the pieces are sold and the breakdown happens that then that's the time that the, he slides over to a new role John Hines is let go the new GM is hired and the new GM hires the new coach it, it does feel like to me that's the order of operations I would proceed with but again I don't think we're there yet. I, I'm not. I'm not saying New Year's, New Year's Eve, or New Year's Day, or, or January one. I, I think you have up until the deadline to see what you have in this team, and it maybe it's a one in one hundred chance that they end up going on some hot streak and going on some run, and things work out, and the defense is great, and Saros is red hot. I, I don't care if it's one in one hundred. I'm willing to take that chance, which I know it sounds like I'm carrying water here, but like you have until the deadline to to make these moves. If somebody can bring you an entire like a first round pick in January and a third round pick in March, then maybe you need to trade them in January. I understand the value changes over time, but I'm I'm looking at this roster going like I think you've got another month and a half, maybe two, and but especially the deadline, you've got to know what what you have to. It's like Amy Adams Strunk with Ryan Tannehill, like they have to make a decision for the future of their organization based exclusively probably on the quarterback position for the Titans, the Preds have to make a decision one way or the other. They they have to they and if you're going to go rebuild, you can't do competitive halfway, dip your toe in gar- garbage. You've got to do it all the way. Yeah. And, and I think you, and that means you got to know what you are by the deadline and then getting rid of all the pieces. If if you think you're if you're right where you are right now in the standings at the beginning of February, middle of February and you're a 500 team, you got to start you got to start the process. Yeah, and I think to your first point, like no, it's got to be a clean break. There cannot be David Poyle fingerprints on a rebuild. The fan base will not tolerate that. And mm-hmm. and I know like the fans don't make the decisions for the team. And I know that the team doesn't base their decisions off of what fans tell them. But if you want to make money and you want and you want you want to fill Bridgestone Arena, like you don't want to piss your fans off. If David Poyle is making decisions that have anything to do with this rebuild, if David Poyle is the one to send the players out and the new GM comes in yeah. and starts bringing players in it's probably better than nothing, but it, people are still going to be mad about that. I think you get rid of Poyle, you get rid of Hines at the same time you go out and you find your GM, then you bring in your head coach and you do it the right way. Because most of the time, these things are successful when the GM and the head coach hired at the same time, share a similar vision. And I think the new coach and the new GM, they should be the ones that are sitting there deciding like, okay, I want, I don't think Grandland has a future with this team. Let's get rid of him. Okay. Like, okay. I think, I think Duchesne could still be an effective piece for this team. Let's keep him. Like, I think those are the decisions the new regime. Well, here, let if, me ask if you. If we get to that point, should be making. Let me ask you this. Can you actually do that in early February and then give yourself three to five weeks to build up all those moves before the deadline? Like, I don't even, can you physically, I don't think you can hire a coach. I think you could put an interim coach in. I mean, I don't know, if it, maybe an interim GM. I, unless, unless you know somebody who's willing to take the full-time GM job in the middle of the season at before the deadline, I... And I'm and I'm okay, and I'm willing to say like, okay, maybe it's not even the deadline. Maybe it needs to be like February first. Like you need to be playing winning, really good hockey by February first, and then give yourself a couple of weeks building up to the deadline to make moves. I just don't know how you actually execute that. Like, how do you actually? Okay, John Hines has been fired. David Poyle moves over to a new role. How do you actually physically bring in a general manager to make decisions and hire a head coach? Like the reason John Hines was hireable was because he was fired. <laughs> it was available. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't I don't even know how you do that in the middle of the season. I don't think you can do it mid-season 
but I think like it's going to get to the point where where it's like okay, something's got to give, and I'm not saying like be reactionary to the fan base, but if you fire John Hines midseason, even if you have an interim coach, that will that at least like puts a bandaid on things for a little bit. I, I think the only the only decision that could be made, like David Poyle is not going to get fired. I don't think he's going to get fired at all. But if he were to get fired, I don't think it's going to be in the middle of a season. A plausible scenario I could see is the Predators start losing or keep losing. They don't show any signs of improving. John Hines is fired. And then maybe you give the interim job to Carl Taylor for the rest of the year and see what you have in him. That's the only scenario I I could see that would maybe appease Predators fans a little bit, at least for this year. But I, I, and again, I don't think anything is going to happen to David Poyle as long as the current ownership group, the way it is, is running things. I think when Bill Haslam comes in, he he's not afraid to be that guy to make the big moves, to have to stand in front of the media and, and answer the questions. Herb Fritch doesn't want to do that. Like he was very uncomfortable the day he had to talk to us and tell us why they were making this this change and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I just I think this is this is how it goes down. This is how David Poyle ends his career with trying to advocate for John Hines because he was on he did radio the other day and he basically said like the problem isn't john hines the players aren't executing john hines's system i think that was the biggest cop out like it's the system that's the issue it's not the players because the players had a really good year last year a lot of these players were here and they were performing pretty well under peter laviolette like i think it's the system that john hines runs doesn't fit this team and i just maybe not here's the bottom line if if we don't think it's possible for changes to happen again i'm gonna i'm gonna say like february 1st if they're not playing great hockey by february 1st i will be on board with the blow up, tear down, and rebuild, I think <laughs> after watching the John Robinson news, but I, I am now to the point where I am no, I would not be shocked at all if an announcement comes down at any point that John Hines has been removed from his duties. Like I just won't be like if it happens to, if on Christmas. I mean, okay, Christmas Day would be weird. Merry Christmas, John Hines. Like <laughs> that'd be weird. But like literally at any point, the morning after a game. Or I'm checking Twitter after, right now. <laughs> the day after a game, there's not a single moment that it would be surprising if they fire John Hines. It just wouldn't be. We're, like, and again, I, I think you said this on "It's All Your Fault," and and Gover said it too. Like, Hines is a pretty solid coach. He's a he's a good dude. I think he's a good representative of the team. I think he's good for a lot of young players. Like, there's a lot of things to like about John Hines. He's a great communicator. I love talking hockey with the guy. But is he an improvement on Laviolette? And is he getting this team where it needs to be? I, I think I'm willing to give him one more month. Basically, one more month to say, this is it, dude. Like, either show us that last year is is something you can replicate, or I've got we've got to move on and we've got to make tough decisions. And and I again I would not be surprised at any point with the announcement PR tweet and thread or somebody breaking the news that you know that John Hines has been removed from his duties. I, I think I barring I think, a barring a 2018-19 St. Louis Blues-esque run. To right. the Stanley Cup, barring anything like that, I don't think John Hines is the head coach of the Predators at the beginning of next season. No, he may no. not get fired midseason. I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, if he did. He may not get fired midseason, though. But by the end of the season, I just don't. I don't see any case aside from making a run like the Blues in 2019. I don't see any case for bringing him back next year. His number one selling point when you hired him was his great this great ability to develop all these players. Ellie Tolvanen flamed out. Cody Glass, like Philip Tomasino's in the. Hey, like Glass is all, Glass is playing pretty good hockey. Glass is playing him, better, but he was a healthy scratch quite a bit at the first month or two. Listen, of the season. He, this is all we need to say. At the end of this season, if they ride or die with this team and try to make the playoffs, and there's no big moves at the deadline, positive or negative, John Hines is still the coach and David Poyle is still the GM, which fans don't want to hear, but that is the most likeliest scenario that they are going to scrap and claw and try to get into the postseason and miss. 
And when they miss, there will be no more excuses. There will be no more. You've got time. You got time to turn it around. Like there's no reason to not make the moves at that point. So I, it's hard to describe like the actual mechanisms in the season of replacing a GM and a coach. So that's why I don't think it's going to happen. I think predators fans need to be prepared for not a lot of big stuff happening at the deadline for potentially Heinz and Poyle to still be employed at the, on the final game of the regular season, which now is going to be Colorado, I think. (laughs) And just what you want. And Oh, by the way, if they miss the playoffs, I don't like you cannot argue this franchise has gotten better over the last four years. You just can't. And and that's the end of this discussion. Like they so I, I don't know. They, they got about Tiny a month. silver lining. If they do miss the Merry playoffs, Christmas, Merry they, Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Tiny silver lining. If they do miss the playoffs and they do have a lottery pick, this is probably one of the more loaded draft classes probably in the last five or six years. So yeah. they chances of them getting a pretty good player would, would probably be pretty good. Well, I <laughs> go go. Go to Jasper's, everybody, to watch the Preds. <laughs> go to Jasper's for the $3 beers while you watch the Preds. That's exactly why you go to Jasper's. And again, if you're listening to this before Christmas, go get you some holiday gifts, man. Really good stuff in the grab-and-go market. The food's great. The parking is free. They're wonderful. Maybe you part- buy John Hines a $3 beer. They're wonderful. He could, he could use a couple. He's he, They're wonderful partners <laughs> of the Nashville Predators. $10 smash burgers, $3 beers during Preds games, home and road. No reason to pay to, to go to Bridgestone Arena anymore to watch this team. Uh, we'll see if they can bounce back they got a couple of games before we'll be back with you guys next week. Got a surprise for you next week. Uh, happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Go to Jasper's. Make sure you support good journalism, good local journalism, the Nashville scene and the Nashville Post. And, of course, listen to the All Your Fault podcast with Michael and Gover. Uh, Michael, Merry Christmas, my man. Happy holidays. The Happy Hanukkah, the Festivus for the rest of us. The feats of strength and the airing of grievances. Sorry, Preds fans. <laughs> Have a great holiday, everybody. For Michael and Braden, this has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.